0: This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hello everybody. Uh, We're back with our Bible study, our midweek Bible study. As you know, you catch it here on Facebook, YouTube. I know most of you watch it on YouTube now throughout the week. You can also download this uh, Bible study, but we're currently in Colossians and... um, Specific, we're going to pick up in Colossians 2 around verse 18, but I want to begin with this. Um, There's this, uh, as John, one of the disciples, he's getting the revelation. He finds himself in a heavenly worship experience, and he is so overwhelmed by the experience that he actually John, one of the Jesus' disciples, actually falls down at the feet of an angel because to worship the angel. I mean, really? But, you know, I guess it was so overwhelming he does that. But what the angel does is right and fascinating. The angel said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't worship me. Uh, no, 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 don't do this. I am also simply a servant of God. Now, why do I bring that up? Why do I begin with this idea that an angel... Uh, Says to John who's trying to worship him. No, don't worship me. I'm just a servant of God. Don't don't do that Well as we pick up in Colossians uh, chapter 2 we're gonna find out why this is now The first thing I want to tell you today of three things is this angels are not the pathway to heaven So angels are not the pathway to heaven now watch in Colossians 2 and verse 18 what it says Paul says let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, hmm, of the angels, taking to stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Now, well, that's an interesting statement right there. Paul is saying, don't let anyone tell you that you're not saved because you don't worship angels. That's what he's saying. Now, now, why would Paul, and he's coming on strong. Why does Paul make such a, a definite, straightforward statement about that? Well, it goes back to the false teachers in Colossae, these Gnostic false teachers. Uh, they were teaching that the worship of angels was the pathway to God. That, that was coming into the church. Isn't that crazy? That invaded the Colossae church at the time. Now, why? The question is why? Why does such, like such as the false teaching that angels are a pathway to heaven or you can worship angels, why does such false teaching invade the church from time to time? Well, let's examine this biblically, theologically, why that is. Why does this worship of angels try to invade us as the body of believers? Well, I want you, if you have your Bible handy, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28 in the Old Testament We're going to come back to Colossians in a bit. But in Ezekiel, uh, chapter 28, we're going to find an interesting set of of verses. And in verse uh, 12 through 15, now watch this. Uh, This is about the king of Tyre, but it is also um, a symbol picture of Satan also, Lucifer, before he was Satan. Now watch this, Uh, son of man, Take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now watch Now watch the, the wording here because this is where you see the symbol of Satan who is uh, an angel. At the, uh, in the original creation, he was Lucifer. He says, You have the seal of perfection. Now, this cannot be an earthly person he's talking about because this is perfection. Somebody is perfect in whatever setting. They have the seal on them full of wisdom and perfect in beauty." Another perfection statement. Now watch. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now you see the fall. He was Lucifer, he was in heaven, the highest created being of God, an angel, and now we find him in the garden of God, in Eden. Now he, he is thrown to earth, cast down, and now he is Satan. He goes on to describe what this Lucifer was looking like. Every precious stone was your covering, past tense. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, now watch this, and uh, the workmanship of your settings and sockets. All the jewels named there are the jewels inside the, the breastplate of the High Priest in the Old Testament. But, now he talks about the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. Huh, that's interesting. Sockets means pipes and your settings. So, we put that kind of together and we understand that he had a big role in the music, in the worship of heaven, in the worship of God. That's what he, that's what his job was. Lucifer, his job was direct people to the worship of God. You could say he's like the music minister of heaven. Watch verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. Now, a cherub is an angel, okay, in Scripture. The anointed cherub who covers. Oh, that's interesting. You are the one who covered, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You had freedom of movement in heaven. You were the high created being. And then verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Remember this, Satan's created, Lucifer, Satan's created, God is not created. Never think they are equal opposites, they are not. God is God, Lucifer, Satan is an angel, fallen angel now, on the day you were created, until unrighteousness was found in you. Mm. Now we find that uh, what Lucifer, a description of Lucifer, he was um, who he was before he became the devil. And it says that you sinned until unrighteousness was found in you. Then something happened. Something went wrong in Lucifer's life. Now we know him as the devil, this created angel. Now let's find out how he sinned. We saw a description of him. Now let's find out his sin, how he lost his position in heaven. Then we're going to get to application. Look at turn to Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at about verses 12. We'll pick it up. Yeah, 12 to 15 here also. And watch what it says. It says, it's describing once again a human person, but it's also describing symbolically uh, Satan, Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven. Whoa. O star of the morning. Now, the Hebrew word for star of the morning is "helel." We get out one of our words, hallelujah. Why do you think Satan doesn't want you to worship God? Why do you think Satan wants you to come late and miss the worship of God or not even attend church altogether? Why does he not want you in a corporate worship service? Because every time we sing hallelujah or praises to God, it reminds him of the position he lost. It reminds him of what he was and he lost it all because he sinned. He doesn't want you to worship God. It's the last thing he wants you to do. And you think you're making the decision to show up late or not come to corporate worship? You think, no, he's he's infiltrating your thinking with lies and and different things to distract you and to keep you from the worship of God. It's just that simple. If you believe there is a spiritual world and God and Satan and Jesus, if you don't believe that, then it don't matter either way, does it? Now, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth. You have weakened the nations. Now watch why. Watch the sin. Why he was cast down. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. Isn't it interesting They want wants to raise his throne up, just like in the Tower of Babel, they're trying to reach God be above God, etc. You find the patterns of Satan everywhere. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Okay, <clears throat> now, Lucifer's sin, why was he cast out of his position of heaven? Pride, he, he not only wanted to be in God's position, he wanted to be God, that was the bottom line. Instead of leading heaven and worship to God, he wanted heaven to worship him. And so because of that, that sin, that's arrogance, that's pride, he's cast out of his position. And now we know him as Satan, a fallen angel. For now, he is the God of this world. And what do you think he still desires? Worship. He seeks to get humans to worship him directly or indirectly. Now I want you to think about this, because he's always after humans to worship him. Now think, 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 think. Remember when Jesus goes to the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, and he's fasting uh, and he's going into battle on Satan's home turf because Adam and Eve handed over the world to uh, to Satan when they sinned. And now Jesus has to come on their home turf, uh, on Satan's home turf to win it back because Adam gave it up when Adam had home home court advantage in, um, in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what Satan tries though? This fallen idol. He takes Jesus to a very high mountain and he says this. And he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. Now, there's not a high enough mountain where you can see all the kingdoms of the world. So I think this is a mental temptation he's giving Jesus. He says, all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all of it. It's all yours. It's everything. It's yours. If you do one thing, Jesus, just do this one thing. Remember what it was? He says, if you fall down and worship me right now. What? He's trying to get God in the flesh to fall down and worship Him. Now, you may think that's easy to say no to. No. you got to remember, Jesus knows what He's got to go through. He knows the cross. He understands it. And He knows He's got to go through that to save mankind. So, it is a legitimate temptation. In other words, He's asking Jesus, shortcut the whole thing, man. shortcut it all, and you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Just fall down and worship me. I'll give you everything. You can win it back like this. Yet Lucifer would be in control. What does Jesus tell him when Satan says, fall down and worship me? He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You only worship God. You only worship God. So we see theologically that Satan always seeks to get us to worship him. It's a direct or indirect attack upon us. Now, let's continue. <clears throat> now, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 as we explore this a little further. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and look at um, verses 19 and 20. Very interesting set of verses here. Now, watch. It says, what, what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, listen, they sacrifice to demons. Huge statement. Demons are fallen angels and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Okay, what's he saying? What's Paul saying? First he says, an idol is nothing, and idols really are nothing, they're inanimate objects, but, he says, but demons, and, which are fallen angels, they take advantage of us through idol worship. This is the way they enslave people, through idol worship. All the religions of the world are basically idol worship, they're false worship. There's only one true worship, the worship of Yahweh God through Jesus Christ His Son, and it's a relationship. Now listen closely. We can make anything into an idol, anything. And it's not easy to detect at times, is it? It's something that we always have to be aware of. I have to be aware of it. Am I making something, am I putting my, my, what I mean by that is am I putting more trust in that than I am in God? For instance, many people put more trust in money and objects than God, It's just a fact. You gotta be careful. I'm not telling you not to make money at all. You make as much money and you finance the kingdom of God, but, Never make that your true thing because the thing you worship, because it can be taken away. Now, Paul is saying that. Here's what he says. Here's what he's warning us about. Anything that we make an idol, there's demon activity behind that. That's what he just said. Behind every bit of idol worship where we trust something more than we trust God, we make it the thing in our life, there's demon activity behind that. That's why it's vital. It's so important we worship Jesus and Jesus only because anything else, there's demonic activity behind that because Satan wants our worship directly or indirectly. He will always be after our worship. Now, the second thing I want to say today is this. False teachers have clever imaginations. They do. Now let's look back at verse 18 again. False teachers have clever imaginations. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen. Notice, visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Mm. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? He says um, they're inflated, these false teachers are inflated without cause with their fleshly mind, huh? Clever imaginations. Fleshly mind can also be rendered clever imaginations. In other words, false teachers make, the, make stuff up. <laughs> they just make stuff up. Um, let me give you, for instance, I'm not here to offend some of you, uh, in case you're still teetering on this fence, but I'm here to clarify some things for you, always. You take uh, you know, these false teachers, this angel stuff going on here, clever imaginations, making stuff up. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, here's what he claimed, here's what he writes, here's what's going on. He says that an angel Moroni came to visit him and gave him the teaching. The Book of Mormon came from these golden plates um, written in an unknown language And they also gave him these special glasses, these lenses and plates, that he could interpret and understand what these unknown words meant. He took them, he translated, and then they were lost. We've never known where the plates are, never know where the glasses are, don't know anything. That's what he said. Some of the things he said that you, in Mormonism, you had to wear, I don't know if they still do it, but you had to wear these special undergarments to ward off evil spirits, as if material could ward off an evil spirit. Um, They also teach that you can get baptized, you know, this is what the angel Moroni and everything given him, that you can get baptized for a dead relative who never became a Mormon. Yeah, you can be baptized in their place and they they become whatever, go into eternity, whatever. They also say that as a Mormon, if you marry in the Mormon uh, ward, uh, I don't use church because they're not the ecclesia, they're not the called out ones, they serve a false god, um, but if you get married in the Mormon ward, you as a husband and wife now will you know, um, elevate, ascend one day and become a god. And you become a god of your own planet somewhere in the universe. This is what they really believe. And then you're having spirit babies and in that, in that planet you're, <laughs> you keep having spirit babies for, forever and you're just populating that planet somewhere in the universe. That's what they really believe. They also believe that Jesus and Lucifer were spirit brothers. And the only reason Jesus became the Savior is he had a better plan. Can you believe that? Jesus is God, Lucifer is a created being, and they say, no, they're spirit brothers. And one of the most fascinating statements, I've read it myself many times, I shared it with somebody last week, and I said, look at this. In their Book of Mormon, it says this, it says, you are saved by grace, which we believe. But then it adds, after all you can do. What? So grace only kicks in after all I can do, well, how much is enough? At what point have I done enough good works that grace finally kicks in? Grace and works are contrary according to the New Testament. Grace is just God's favorite, you can't earn it. And yet work, say, I can earn, or work my way there, earn my way to God, sorry, it doesn't work. And the list goes on and on of clever imaginations. Not within the Book of Mormon, but everywhere else. So many things, and millions and millions of people have bought into it and they're heading to the wrong place when they die. So we've got to be careful about these things because people make things up and then people buy into it. You stick with Scripture, you stick with what it says, you compare what you hear with what it says. That's why I always read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Get your mind saturated with the truth. Now, the third thing I want to tell you is this. <clears throat> Paul says in verse 19 the Christians are held together when they are connected to the body of Christ. That's where I want to drive home the last thought. In Colossians 2.19 it says this, And not holding fast to the head. Now that's Jesus as the head of the body of Christ. From whom the entire body, that's us, we're the body of Christ, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth, which is from God. I cannot grow if I'm not in the body of Christ. You better believe you can't you got to be connected to a local body of believers. Now, let me, let me drive this thought home so you get a kind of visual. I, I'm a movie guy. You guys know that. I love movies. Always will. I hope there's movies in heaven. <laughs> hope we we'll return in the, in the second coming for the thousand-year reign that, you know, regals open and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, I'm a movie guy. If you've never seen Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, <laughs> it's a great movie. I loved it because that opening scene, they're storming the beach there in Normandy. And, but there's this one little spot in that opening scene of many great, great events. And it is so realistic. And I'm sure this could have been possible in heaven. There's a soldier, an American soldier on the beach. As everything's going crazy and bullets flying everywhere. And he's looking around, he's looking around, and you realize he's looking for his arm because he has no arm and he sees it, he finds it. His arm's attached, got blown off. If you're not in the body of Christ, if you're not in a local body of believers contributing, being a part of it, you're like that arm. You're disconnected and that arm's not gonna live. It's not getting the life flow from the head, which is Christ, in the body of believers. And you're not going to grow. You're not going to be strengthened. You're not going to nurture. It's just not going to happen. You can kid yourself all you want. But the New Testament is smarter than you. And you're to be connected with a local body of believers. And that's how you grow. What's fascinating to me is in Deuteronomy 25, like verse 17 18, as they're traveling to the Old Testament, through the desert in the Old Testament to get to the promised land. It says at a certain point the Amalekites were picking off some of the Israelites as they're traveling to the promised land. You know why they're picking them off? Because they're stragglers. They weren't connected to the entire group. They were straggling way behind. And the Amalekites are picking these people off because they're walking alone. That's what the enemy does. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. But you're surely not growing like you could have and you're surely not contributing to a local fellowship of believers you know james the brother of jesus said this um, show me your faith by your works because i'll show you my faith by my works show me the evidence because we've just become a nation of i am a believer well what does that mean it's not even a term jesus really started with he said you're a follower follow me follower denotes movement anybody can be a believer are you a follower you doing what jesus said you got to be connected i'm a movie guy last thought you remember that scene in gladiator when he finally makes it to the Colosseum and maximus who's been a, a general and now obviously he's a slave and he's a gladiator and he says this he says we got to stay together he's telling his fellow gladiators out there he goes whatever comes out that door we got to stay together. If we stay together, we survive. And you see, some people didn't stay together with the group, didn't follow it, and they died in that, in that arena. And the ones who stayed together, they lived, they won, and they conquered. What's true of gladiators is true of Christians. You got to get connected to a body of Christ. Well, I'm going to stop right there for now. Uh, we'll continue next week. We'll pick up at verse 20. Good talking to you today. God bless you. You can always share this with other people if you think it'll help them. So we'll see you later. Have a great, great day. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nvcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.